0: This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections, on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. My name is Marisa Nielsen, and I teach second grade in Vermont.
1: My name is Kelly Juno, and I teach third grade in Massachusetts. So today's show is a series of stories that are told for kids and that are about resistance. And Marisa and I chose this topic because of all the news this spring about the police killings of people of color. And maybe you even went to a protest in your town. And we wanted to connect the stories and history of our nation with what we are seeing today to try to understand it better. I don't know about you guys, but when the news came out about George Floyd's murder, I felt so sad and angry. And I was asking myself, why is this happening? And after so many people have sp- in our country have spent years fighting for equality and justice, why are things still so unjust?
0: Well, let's talk about what actually happened this spring and summer. So all of it happened after our country had been shut down, more or less, because of the coronavirus. People had been in their homes for a couple of months. Many of them had lost their jobs, and they didn't have enough money to pay rent or buy food, and people were barely surviving. Then in May, a cell phone video came out of four police officers murdering a black man named George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. When people saw that video, they were outraged. People had been watching police kill black people for a long, long time. This was an event that caused millions of people to come out into the streets to say, enough is enough. Our stories today talk a bit about this long history and the moments of resistance like the one that happened this spring. So we're going to start with a story from Derek Johnson, who's pretending to be an enslaved worker on the Virginia plantations in the 1600s. He'll tell the story of what it was like to work alongside white indentured servants, all facing very similar conditions.
1: And maybe as you guys listen to this story, you can think about what connections you make between the story that happened 400 years ago and what's happening today.
2: Hello, friends. So I'd like to tell you a little story of something that happened not, not so long ago. It was in the colony of Virginia. I was there and some other people came on boats. They came from as far away as England to this new place called the Americas. Though this place had already existed, there were people living there, indigenous people, like the Powhatan and other nations. People were sent from Europe, as well as Africa, to come and work. We were called indentured servants, some of us had to sign contracts. You know, they had up pretty nice posters saying that we would come and work and then we'd have land because we didn't have much back in England. And some of us were kidnapped from the continent of Africa. And we came and we toiled really hard in fields, growing tobacco and other crops that could be sold back to England. Cause that was the crop that everyone liked. Tobacco was real fancy and everyone enjoyed smoking it. Not like today. Well, you know, the work was really difficult. It wasn't easy. People with brown skin and black skin and white skin, we all worked together, planting tobacco, picking tobacco from sunup and sundown. And then when the day was done, we were served a mush of corn called lolly, log lolly wasn't very tasty. And some of us even had chains around our necks and around our ankles as we worked. And though, you know, the people with white skin, they look different than me, because I had brown skin and I have brown skin, we were all doing the same work. And we were all receiving the same treatment, being forced to labor day in and day out with not any real breaks, our homes Dirt floors, no windows, no beds to sleep upon. And in the winter, it was so cold, something I wasn't used to. Well, you know what happened? We decided that we weren't going to take it anymore. We weren't going to be worked. We weren't going to take somebody else's land for ourselves. So we decided to fight back. And fight back we did. Sometimes we would escape and they would have our pictures and small little papers and have our warnings saying they were looking for us and track us down with dogs and other things. But we evaded them, meaning we didn't let them find us. And sometimes we would burn down the crops and fields. And sometimes people got caught. And if you got caught from running away, that, boy, that wasn't gonna be a good thing. So, I just wanna share that story with you, that in the land that we call now Virginia, there were people there before us. And poor people, you know, sometimes we rebelled and it didn't matter the color of our skin because what we had in common was that we were being taken advantage of. We were doing all the labor and not reaping any of the benefits. So remember, just because you don't look like someone, just because you don't sound like someone, doesn't mean you don't have a lot in common. And when things aren't right, and you know they're wrong, just like we did, there's always time to stand up, fight back, And get into good trouble.
3: Oh, freedom.
4: Come.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 1077 Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today, we are talking about the Black Lives Matter uprisings that happened this spring and summer and in many places are still happening. This is a show just for kids. And we're using history to try to understand what has been happening in our world and our lives more deeply.
0: And you just heard Derek Johnson describe the story of an enslaved Black worker on a plantation in Virginia in the 1600s. He talked about how he and white indentured servants were facing much of the same conditions. Kelly, can you explain a little bit more why these people were facing such terrible conditions?
1: Yeah. So it had to do with people coming over to this land from Europe who came and basically stole land from the indigenous people or the people who already lived here. And they took their land and they they not only wanted to live here, but they wanted to make money off of this land. And They didn't all own land. There was only a handful of people, and it was all men, who owned this land. And in order order to make money off of it, they were going to use it to grow stuff, not to eat, but to sell. So they decided to grow tobacco. But they were not going to work the fields themselves. They stole by force human beings, actually. Poor, homeless people from Europe. And they also stole Africans to work in the tobacco fields. And then when they, got, when they brought these workers or people who they had taken and brought them to what they were calling then America, they forced them to work for them. So that sounds horrible, Kelly. How come they stayed? Didn't they just run away? Well, actually... A lot of them did run away, and some succeeded, and some of those who succeeded would make their own communities, but not all of them succeeded. And the landowners and the tobacco, the tobacco field owners, they did not want to lose money by having their workers run away, so essentially they policed them, or watched them, and monitored them, and controlled them to make sure that they they wouldn't run away. And if they did, they would try to go out and catch them. And this was sort of like the beginning of policing in the United States. Wow. But
0: it does sound like from what Derek was saying that both black enslaved workers and white indentured servants sort of stuck together because they were both facing this very, very similar terrible
1: conditions. Yeah, that's what we mean when we say solidarity. It's when people understand that their struggles are connected. But the white landowners eventually came up with a plan because they weren't actually just going to sit around and let the workers run away because they most definitely were not going to be working the fields themselves. So their plan was to try to split up the workers to try to get them to think that their lives were not connected. So what they did was they actually started paying some of the poor white people, even the white indentured servants, to be the police or the guards of the black enslaved people. And they really did this so white indentured servants and black enslaved people would not work together so easily anymore to overpower the landlords. So we're going to go forward
0: a few hundred years to 1964, when over a thousand college students and other people went to Mississippi, where there was a lot of segregation happening, uh, separating the black people who lived in Mississippi from the white people who lived in Mississippi. And People went there to try to say, no, we disagree with this. This is wrong. And we want to fight for um, the rights of all people who live in Mississippi. So we'll hear from Corey Sorensen, who's going to tell us that story of what's called Freedom Summer.
5: Yeah, so I want to tell you a story about um, what was called the Freedom Summer. And the reason this story is exciting uh, to me and inspiring to me is because it wasn't just about one person like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. People like them, they inspired whole groups of people to act against race hatred and racism and something called segregation, which is when black people and white people were kept separate but white people were in power. And so they created systems like schools for white people that were much better than the schools for black people. And they had like libraries for white people that were much better than libraries for black people. And it wasn't fair. So in one state specifically in the South, Mississippi, 60 years ago in the early 1960s, segregation was really bad. And there were whole groups of people in Mississippi, black and white, but mostly black, who wanted to change that system. And so they organized and they fought against it. And one way that they knew they could fight against it was to register to vote so that they can um, change the laws in Mississippi and, um, and create rights for themselves. But however, when they went to register to vote, they were treated with such hatred, like violence and name calling. And they were also if somebody saw them trying to register to vote, they might have lost their job, or they were arrested for small crimes or crimes that they didn't even commit. And they became so frustrated. Can you imagine like just trying over and over and over again, just to be able to vote and being treated like that? And they knew that they couldn't do this alone. That if these efforts that they were doing weren't going to work, that they needed to try something else. They needed to try something much bigger. And they were inspired by other freedom movements in other states where white people and black people came together to fight against segregation and racism. So what they did is... These organizations, these groups of people, they invited a thousand college students from northern states, states like Massachusetts, states like California, states north of Mississippi, to come down there and participate in what they called the Freedom Summer. So, a thousand students, college students, they came down despite all the threats that that were made um, from the from the people in power in Mississippi. They were threatening to. Sometimes they threatened to kill them. They would threaten violence, and they would say, "This isn't going to work." But they knew that they had to come together to make these changes. So, okay, so they came down, and most of these pe- college students were white, but there were also black college students, and there were. Uh, There were Latino college students and Asian college students. And black families in Mississippi actually invited them into their home and and they stayed in their homes to support this freedom movement. So these people, they set up projects and they were called the Projects of the Freedom Summer. And so one of those projects were um, they made it so that black people could vote. They could register to vote. And they supported them so that they wouldn't be treated with such uh, illegal violence and hatred. And they also set up community centers. So like they created libraries because communities, they were not able to use white only libraries. So they created new libraries and uh, taught people how to read and health education. And they also set up something called Freedom Schools and this is like my most favorite part of this because I'm a teacher and I can almost imagine myself like it was yesterday going down to Mississippi to teach in a freedom school where the, what they were teaching was like, not just, okay, here's how you read and here's how you do math and now we're doing a phonics lesson and um, then we eat lunch and then we go home. No, they were teaching about Um, they were teaching black history and they were teaching people to like really critically, critically think, that means like ask questions and they were teaching things like dance and drama and art and auto mechanics and guitar and singing they sang civil rights songs and they had classes in French and music and all these things so imagine being a, being a young child and the only school you've ever gone to is a run down school with um, not enough school supplies to even really learn much and your teachers they they weren't paid very much and often they were treated poorly as well so your your life at school was really hard and suddenly they have this opportunity to sing together and to learn new things and learn to be proud of who they are, but also learn that they can together fight for the rights that they deserve.
1: Wait, Corey, did you say these schools happened over the summer?
5: Yeah, so not every kid like was required to go, but lots of families wanted them to participate because... Okay, so... I don't remember if I said this earlier, but a lot of times we think of like the civil rights movement as like a one March and then poof, all of a sudden there is civil rights, but actually part of the civil rights movement and what they called freedom movement was about education. So people in Mississippi, they needed to learn about what was happening here and know that they can actually change that. And, People in the North needed to learn about what was happening in Mississippi so that they can change it. And part of the freedom movement was that they wrote letters to people in the North to sit and said, "Hey, this is how people are being treated, and we can't we can't let this happen." So it wasn't just like overnight there was all of a sudden a change, but all these people coming together and learning from each other and teaching each other about how to be. Um, how to fight for freedom is just like such a cool and inspiring thing that is still happening today. People are still teaching about things like the freedom movement in 1964. And unfortunately there's still race hatred and there's still things that are unfair in this world, whether it's about being black or whether it's about being poor um, versus being rich. There are things that are happening that are unfair and what I've learned from the freedom summer is that we can actually change those things if we work together. And I just think that's really cool.
1: So here's what I'm, I'm wondering about Corey, because you said that the schools took place over the summer and not every kid went, but a lot of kids went, well, how did they teach the kids about the schools? I mean, this all sounds like a lot of work. Well, the kids together.
5: Well, I mean, this was a, this was a, hot um, point of conversation, I think, because the, everybody knew about the thousand students that were coming down to Mississippi to set up the freedom schools. And I think that the reason that uh, people didn't go wasn't because they didn't know about it, because I think a lot of people knew about it. It was because they were threatened by, um, by white um, people in power in their town. So they used to have the freedom schools in churches, but then they would be, they would threaten to burn down those churches. And sometimes they did. And so they would take the freedom schools outside and they'd be under trees. And so imagine if you're a mother and you really want to send your child to this freedom school so they can learn civil rights songs and they can learn how to ask questions and they can learn about their history, but you also love your child and you want them to be safe and you don't want them to be hurt. So I think that's why sometimes there weren't as many students that were there.
1: So, Corey, it sounds like there were a lot of projects over the Freedom Summer, and it sounds like there were a lot of people who were working really hard to make these projects happen. So I know that when people work together, they win. And so what did they win after the Freedom Summer?
5: Well... (laughs) they want a lot of things because so people still today talk about what they learned in those freedom schools and the win, sometimes it's not just something that happens overnight. Like, okay, all of a sudden blacks can vote. Um, it's that you're building together communities that work for a better world and that movement grows. And that's what I was saying earlier that this movement is continuing today. So, there isn't just one leader. It wasn't just one march, but there's many people doing many things, sometimes quickly, but often slowly make huge changes in this world. Changes where uh, they get rid of those old uh, ways of being where one, one uh, person is in power and another person isn't. And we can learn to share those. We can learn to share control over what's happening, you know?
1: Okay, yeah, but was there, like, a trophy or something? Was there, like, a court case that was won that then everybody cheered? Or was, like, there a soccer game, at least, that was won? I mean, come on.
5: Uh, well, I mean, there was the Civil Rights Act of 1964, if that's what you mean. The Civil Rights Act made it so that the laws did change so that there wasn't allowed to be segregation. But unfortunately there were still ways that people can be segregated whether they were put in jail for crimes they didn't commit or whether they were just put into schools still that were not didn't have as much money as other schools or or whatever so yeah there were there it's helpful to have laws that are against things like segregation but it's not enough we need more than just laws we need all people to know the history of segregation and to fight and act against it, because the people are the ones that make the world that we want to see, and so that's what I um, am inspired by from the from the Freedom Summer.
3: Roll up with a knot and hit the ground.
2: Head as close to your knees as possible. Legs to Because the legs we out could be broken with one quick step. Don't carry watch on pins, glasses, and never more than five to ten dollars.
6: If you're caught from behind the limits, watch for cars without plates and cops without bad bags. Never be the last to leave a meeting. Never leave you alone. this is more than music. It's a state of mind. The way we view ourselves, I'm trying to help you redefine. Don't say I shouldn't care, but I feel inclined. Maybe obligated, the when you nominated. Cause when you bless, you ain't looking to be compensated. See, I chose to blaze the campaign trail. Shaking hands and holding babies cause I do mean well. See, I'm working from the heart, so I'm guided by my soul. Once you understand the past it's the future you control. Uh, no champagne, freedom summer campaign. Here to make a difference, trying to bring a bigger change. Took reflex to win an election and I flew under the radar so they wasn't expecting with swag when you burning a confederate flag in the state of Mississippi just to show that you're mad and you've overcome the eyes that were holding you back Uh. I'm
4: thinking that my
6: Uh... May those who took freedom die with guilt in their heart. Me and feast upon their souls and slowly tear them apart. See, I always represent the opposite of content. All out for the cause while remaining relent. Clear eyes, full hearts at nobody's expense. Overwhelmed with conviction, so you slowly repent. Singing we shall overcome, cause we know where we from. And we know where we have been. We can never pretend. Cause if it happened once, it can happen again. Spoken million pure hearts, leading million man march. I ain't giving up my spot in the name of Rosa Parks, yeah. This That real music, you gotta feel music. Analyze my lyrics, and it probably give you chills. Music, let's get deeper, deeper than we ever been. You know it's hard to win in this world to sin. I just pray that it all ends. Freedom summer, baby. I'm taking back my
4: freedom this summer. I'm taking back my
6: Calibrate your mind and realize manipulation. Only then will you feel a proud sense of cultivation. Ain't gotta think like me. At least think for yourself. Cause the capacity to choose the ability to change. Might have been the reason Malcolm Little changed his name. Reminiscent of the pain and the life never slain. Let's break away from the chain that keep us mentally drained. I pray the world comes around while in search of common ground. Find to voice my opinion to my thoughts are world renowned. I began a soul search and found so much more. Found a message in a bottle that washed up on the shore. I said let's unity in all of our communities try to give back and help create an opportunity no better than you you know better than me what we y'all have in common is we want to be free what we y'all have in common is we want to be free oh uh. i'm my I'm taking back my,
4: freedom this summer. I'm taking back my freedom
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 1077 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio station. This I'm Kelly and I'm here with Marisa and today we are talking, we are doing another Indigo radio just for kids to talk about the Black Lives Matter uprisings.
0: You just heard Corey Sorensen describing Freedom Summer when over a 1,000 college students and others went to Mississippi to work for equal rights for people of color. The main reason was to make sure that everyone could vote without being afraid of punishment or harm or even death. But Corey was also talking about critical education. Kelly, can you tell us a little bit more about the importance of critical education?
1: Yeah. So one thing that Corey didn't mention Is that the teachers in Mississippi, like all teachers actually, are given something called a curriculum, which is how they're told what they have to teach. And the curriculum that the teachers were given included some people and didn't include other people. And actually that's true for all curriculums. It was also a curriculum that believed that there are right answers and that the goal of education is for students to learn the right answers. But the Mississippi Freedom Schools believed and taught that the most important thing is for students to ask the questions that they have in their heads and think about things for themselves and that there isn't one right answer. The Freedom Schools also taught about some really important people who were not ever in the Mississippi curriculum which is African-Americans in Mississippi. Hmm. That makes me
0: think about the curriculum that you and I teach, Kelly, in second and third grade. There's all these things that we're supposed to teach so that kids get the right answers, like you said. But learning to ask questions and think for ourselves and learning our own histories is something that we sometimes don't take the time to, to teach something that sometimes it gets pushed out. So I'm glad we got to listen to Corey talk about the Freedom Schools because I think we should be doing more of this in our schools today too.
1: And then, like Corey said at the end, people who went to the Freedom Schools were really affected and inspired by their time there. They learned to have pride in their history and who they were And they learned to think deeply about the world around them and ask questions. Education programs like that inspired people to go out and to do even more work for justice and freedom. One of the things I think about, Marisa, is how inspired I was by the civil rights movement when I learned about it in school. And as an adult, I think about how much work people had to do to force the government to let teachers teach about it. And I bet that some of those people who fought for that went to the Mississippi Freedom Schools. And I bet lots of people who were inspired by the civil rights movement in school came out to the streets for the Black Lives Matter uprisings. I agree, Kelly.
0: And now we'll go to our last story, a story about people who are thinking critically and standing up for their the health of their land, and their lives. It's a story about the water protectors who live in Standing Rock, North Dakota, and the owners of a company called Energy Transfer Partners who wanted to build an oil pipeline going right through the land. Like the millions of people who went onto the streets to say enough is enough this past spring, the water protectors living in Standing Rock, North Dakota, went onto their land to say no to an oil pipeline. Let's hear more from Caridad.
7: Good morning, children and all people. I'm Caridad, and I will be reading a story titled, We Are Water Protectors. This story was inspired by the many indigenous-led movements across North America. It was written by Carol Lindstrom and illustrated by Michaela Gold. Carol Lindstrom is Anishinaabe Métis and is tribally enrolled with the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe. She was born and raised in Nebraska and currently makes her home in Maryland. A fierce water protector herself, Carol writes about the connection between her culture and the land, speaking up for all the voices that cannot speak for themselves. Michaela Goad is of Klingit descent, and is tribally enrolled with the Central Council of the Klingit and Haida Indian tribes of Alaska. She grew up in the rainforests and on the beaches of Juneau, Alaska, where she still lives today. There's a word that I will use often in this story, and it is Nokomis. It means grandmother in Ojibwe. Water is the first medicine, Nokomis told me. We come from water. It nourished us inside our mother's body as it nourishes us here on Mother Earth. Water is sacred, she said. We stand with our songs and our drums. We are still here. The river's rhythm runs through my veins, runs through my people's veins. My people talk of a black snake that will destroy the land, spoil the water, poison plants and animals, wreck everything in its path. When my people first spoke of the black snake, they foretold that it wouldn't come for many, many years. Now the black snake is here. Its venom burns the land, courses through the water, making it unfit to drink. Take courage. I must keep the black snake away from my village's water. I must rally my people together. To stand for the water, to stand for the land, to stand as one against the black snake. We stand with our songs and our drums. We are still here. It will not be easy. We fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. The winged ones. The crawling ones. The four-legged. The two-legged. The plants. Trees. Rivers. Lakes. The earth. We are all related. Tears like waterfalls stream down, tracks down my face, tracks down my people's faces. Water has its own spirit, Nokomis told me. Water is alive. Water remembers our ancestors who came before us, she said. We stand with our songs and our drums. We are still here. We are stewards of the earth. Our spirits have not been broken. We are water protectors. We stand. The black snake is in for the fight of its life.
1: Wow, Karidad, thanks so much for reading us that story. I really liked it, but it actually made me have a lot more questions. Like I was wondering in the story, what was the black snake?
7: What is the black snake? Well, the black snake in the story represents the oil that flows through the pipeline. If you can think of a snake and how it slithers and kind of moves on the grass, well, that's how the oil moves through the pipeline. We can think of a pipeline like this big, long tube, kind of like a straw, but bigger and longer. So the story that we just read is talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline that was built into the ground four years ago and is under the Missouri River. It starts in North Dakota, it runs through South Dakota and into Illinois where it meets up with another pipeline. It crosses through many communities, farms, through the tribal land of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and through sensitive natural areas where animals live. The Missouri River is the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's source of drinking water. So, if there is an oil spill from the pipeline, it can poison the water, and it will cause a threat to the lives of the people, their culture, and their way of life.
1: Wait, Karidad, I'm confused, because I actually eat oil. I put it on my salad, and I cook with it, and sometimes I even put it in my hair. So I don't really understand how oil would poison water.
7: Well, the oil in the pipeline comes from way deep in the ground, and it was meant to stay there. When it is removed, it becomes dangerous. On the other hand, the oil that we use in our foods comes from plants, so it's pretty safe.
1: So, wait, the oil that we have from from plants is for eating. So what's the oil that comes out of the ground for?
7: Well, that oil can be used to heat our homes and make our cars move right through the gasoline once it's refined it becomes gasoline and that's what um makes our cars move
1: oh i understand the difference gasoline is really yucky so i definitely wouldn't want that in my drinking water so kari dad how did people in real life try to stop the pipeline well
7: it all began with a group of teenagers Soon after the pipeline was put into the ground, a group of youth who called themselves the One Mind Youth approached their tribal elders and they asked them for help to stop the pipeline. They wanted to bring awareness to what was happening to as many people as they could. For Jocelyn Charger and other youth leaders, this type of activism would also help to teach children the skills to survive, even other immediate threats like bullying and using drugs. They set up a tiny prayer camp on the still frozen ground on the northernmost edge of the Standing Rock Reservation in the middle of winter. It was one of the first actions to block construction of the pipeline. At first, they lived off bologna sandwiches, potato chips, and water. But soon, their actions moved other people to help, and before you knew it, many others joined them, and they brought food and water and other resources to support the struggles. Within months, thousands of protesters from all over the world and the country joined the camp near the river. Within months, thousands of protesters from around the world and around the country joined the camp near the river, and so began an amazing movement which was made up of farmers, environmentalists, and members of hundreds of American Indian tribes from all over the country. This became one of the largest Native American resistance efforts in the history of the United States.
1: I'm wondering, because you're telling me that all these people had to come together and try to try to get in the way of the pipeline to stop it from being built. I don't understand why the government didn't just send the police to protect the people and their water.
7: That is a really important question. We're taught in schools and sometimes even in our own families that the job of the police is to protect the people. However, during this very important protest where children and adults came together and used their bodies to fight for the right to clean water, it became very clear that, in fact, that is not really the job of the police in our society. Instead, the police, as well as private guards that were hired by the company that owned the pipeline, were sent to protect the building of the pipeline. They used tear gas, dogs, and guns to terrify and hurt the protesters. And in the dead of winter, they even sprayed water, which caused the people to freeze. But the people didn't give up. They stayed for a whole year fighting to stop the pipeline.
1: Wow, so what happened in the end?
7: The government of the United States did not protect the tribe and the land and water and declared that the pipeline could continue to operate. But the good news is the fight is not over. The fight will never be over. The struggle is still ongoing and the people will not give up. Just like the book said, it will not be easy. But the black snake is in for the fight of its life.
3: Fire, fire. Hey. Fire, fire. Fire, fire. Attention. We can all be
4: one. Attention. No more with each other.
1: You're listening to Indigo Radio on 1077 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. I'm Kelly, and I'm here with Marisa, and today we are doing a radio show just for kids on the Black Lives Matter uprisings.
0: You just heard Caridad Martinez read We Are Water Protectors by Carol Lindstrom and Michaela Goad. That book was published just this year, but the Dakota Access Pipeline disagreement has been going on since 2016. Kelly, what's happening now with the Dakota Access Pipeline?
1: Well, just this summer, actually, there was a new exciting victory that was won by the Standing Rock Sioux who are fighting the pipeline. And that is that they got a court, like a judge, to rule that the Dakota Access Pipeline has to be stopped and all the oil has to be flushed out of it. However, The owner of the company said that he would not listen to the court ruling. That sounds so unfair. And it's also tricky because
0: I heard Caridad talk about using oil to heat our homes. I heat my home with oil. Does my oil come from places like the
1: Dakota Access Pipeline? Well, yeah, the thing is that it does. And there's actually a word for that, and it's something that we call a contradiction, when there's something we don't agree with, but it's the way the world works for the moment. And there are other ways to get energy, actually, that don't hurt the environment quite so much, like solar energy from the sun or wind turbines that use wind power to provide energy. But you know, lots of people don't have a choice. And right now in this moment, most of us do rely on oil.
0: Hmm. Well, that contradiction makes me think of another contradiction Carrie Dad was talking about, the police. Didn't the police want to help the people who are protecting the water and the land? Why do
1: they protect the company instead? What's that all about? Well, I think you can connect this to Derek's story that we heard at the beginning of the show. We think of the police as being there to help us, but remember when we were talking about police protecting the land and property and wealth of the tobacco tobacco plantation owners? They were not there to protect the workers. In fact, they made sure the workers wouldn't be able to free themselves.
0: So it's kind of the same now. The police came to protect the property and wealth of the owners of the pipeline, not the people who are fighting for healthy land and lives.
1: Yeah, and that connects with what we were talking about at the beginning all the news about police killings of black people. There's a long history of the police protecting private property and making sure that people who do not own land or property are kept down and over time protecting property over human life has made some people see black people as the problem instead of private property as the problem so when people have this false idea in their heads they start to treat black people as if they're the as if they are the problem and This is what happened with the death of George Floyd. Hmm.
0: But there's also a long history of what we call resistance when people come together to say, we won't take this anymore. What you're doing is wrong. It's killing people. It's easy to get discouraged, especially when we see how painful things still are for many, many people. But our struggle will continue, and it will take a long time. I know, Kelly, that I have been inspired by these stories of resistance, and it Absolutely. helps me learn, too, how to come together and, and work towards a world that we do want to see. So we hope that you were also inspired by these moments in history when people have come together to say, we won't take this anymore. And so with that, we will end the show with a song called Stand Up, Fight Back.
3: Yeah.